WHMP. And welcome to the show on what is a very special day. Um, on any other day, we'd probably lead with how we dodged a bullet with Senator Raphael Warnock's narrow victory over Herschel Walker. Or we talk about the consequences of having a Democratic majority in the Senate. We would definitely discuss Moore versus Harper. That's the case before the Supreme Court that could signal the demise of democracy. Or we could be speaking about dodging another bullet, how Germany avoided a coup, as did Peru. But there's something more important we have to talk about. Yesterday, our own Monty Belmonte announced that he was going to leave our radio group. And um, for we are going to spend today talking about that. Um, it's basically a tribute to Monty, who's here in the studio, along with the extraordinary Joan Holiday. Um, we are, it's a loving tri tribute. It's a loving tribute because for two decades, Monty has been the voice of not only the river, in which he successfully served as program director and morning show host and entertainer and DJ. He's basically a household member. He's the passenger that so many people have shared their morning drive with. He's a newscaster. He's an entertainer. He's a friend of so many. They start their weekday journey every morning for two decades with Monty. And here at WHMP, he has served for almost a decade and a half as an incredible force, as a partner and producer and soundboard operator for Bill Newman on The Bill Newman Show. And beyond his radio broadcast, Monty is perhaps best known for this fundraising event that motivates literally thousands, Monty's March. The march has just finished its 13th year by raising another half million dollars to combat food insecurity in our region. Monty leads that walk to raise money, which is used to help the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts distribute food to those who need it. And Monty's March takes place over two days. They walk 43 miles from Springfield to Greenfield with Monty often in costumes for reasons which admittedly I hope one day to understand. Maybe it's a function, and these are Monty's words, because he likes to bring, quote, low-minded humor for high-minded people, end quote. On the walk, Monty's usually joined by our indefatigable Congressman Jim McGovern, who has marched with Monty, I think, 10 of those 13 years and in his 2020 March, they raised $615,000 for the food bank. Since the outbreak of the pandemic, many schools did solidarity marches, doing local marches while raising money for local food banks. And Monty supports so many other charitable projects, too many to mention. But to just mention a few, He's worked to raise money for cancer victims and their families with the Cancer Connection Campout. He's been a judge for Stir Up Some Love, which raises money for the Treehouse Foundation. He's a board president of Shea Theater in Turner's Falls. You know, what's remarkable is not just his commitment to those and so many other worthwhile causes in our communities. We are so lucky to live in communities where so many have done their part to make this region so special. But what's truly remarkable is how cleverly how consistently he's used his platform, his radio waves, his celebrity, his popularity to bring us all into his fundraising efforts. Monty suggests to a really broad listening office, uh, audience that they walk distances they would otherwise never even consider walking and that they open up their wallets for people they're never even going to meet and that in the coldest month of the year they pitch a tent out on the courthouse lawn and they do it. And even crazier is that he convinces them to get their friends and acquaintances to pledge money so that they can do it. And that money all goes to critical purposes in furtherance of his Michigan ideas. And they do that too. Monty Belmonte may be unelected, but he nevertheless holds a unique and extremely important leadership role throughout the valley, throughout the hill towns, and beyond. What is it about the guy that compels so many to love him? Well, I think I know the answer. He should be loved. Many of the reasons are apparent to his listeners. His trademark sense of humor, which is usually accompanied by a high-pitched cackle. He is smart. He's surprising. He's insightful. And his humor is never further away than the next topic. Even when he's silly, he's clever. Politically, Monty Belmonte is astute. I don't have to talk about his compassion for others. That's legendary in this region. He has other talents that his listeners may not even know anything about. For example, Monty is a really skillful portrait artist. 
And those of us who are lucky enough to have seen him at work have implored him to do something with this collection of drawings of the faces that he and Bill Newman have interviewed over years, as well as many other faces he's probably memorialized with a pencil. But more than anything else, Monty Belmonte is one of us. Christopher Belmonte is a child of Massachusetts. He was born in Dorchester. He was raised in Norton by Nani, also known as Kathy Belmonte, his mother, and by Beepy. That's the moniker given to his dad, Chris Belmonte. Hi, Chris. This is your father, the retired Patriots correspondent, and... Your mother, the Catholic Affairs correspondent. We want to say... Proud of you. Especially for your work on the Walk for Hunger and the Cancer Connection. And if you remember anything, remember righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Good luck. Uh, Nani and Beepi also raised his sister, Colleen, who's now raising her own nine-year-old niece, Nola. Hi, Chris. This is your sister. And, and Nola. Happy birthday. Nay, nay, nay. Nay, nay, nay. Nay, nay, nay. Nay, 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 Different is good. You are definitely different. And I think she takes after you. In college, Chris was nicknamed Monty by his friends. And he's remained Monty Belmonte throughout his adulthood here in western Massachusetts. He lives in Montague. It's a community that he has enriched, while in turn, it's enriched him. As president of that extraordinary little Shea Theater, which was resuscitated by him and others, it's resuscitated a lot more than just one aging theater. But having said all that, and we could say a whole lot more before we turn the mic over, Monty is a family guy. Monty is married to Melissa Belmonte, who since 2005 has been a lecturer in Spanish language and culture at Smith College. Together, they've raised and continue raising three extraordinary children, children from Monty, he says, he can learn from. Atticus is almost 18 years old. Enzo is 15, and he's like me, a middle child, and the martial artist, Pax, who's nine years old. I think he's home, not feeling so well today, and Mom is with him. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. We're so proud of you and everything you do. And it's been so fun listening to my own dad on the radio all these years. I really appreciated all the mornings where I'm getting ready for work and you're playing Lana Del Rey or some other music that I really love, um, partly because you know that I'm listening. Hi, Dad. I remember when I was littler, I thought your work was cutting paper, so I would always get dressed up and come to your work so I could shred paper <coughs> because I thought that would help you so much. I love you, and I'm so proud. And, of course, the love of Monty's life, his spouse, his bestie, Melissa. Hey, it's me. Over the years, it hasn't always been easy. Frankly, it's been pretty exhausting. I guess more so for you than for me, except maybe during the baby years. But you've always stayed true to the artistic integrity of the river and your commitment to making our community better no matter what it takes, all while still prioritizing me and the kids. I have so much respect and admiration for you, and there's so much more I could say, but as a couple of your favorite people would do, I'll go with lyrics. You are so beautiful to me. You're everything I hoped for. You're everything I need. I think that you're the greatest, and I'm so proud of you. And then there are us his co-workers. Let's start with the extraordinary radio host in her own right, with a huge following and even bigger talent, the amazing Joan Holiday. Hi, Joan. Hello there. How are you, Buzz? Well, we're here to salute your buddy. How long have you been together? <laughs> we have been two sides of the river coin for 13 years. And I could not imagine a, a better more fun, more inventive um, co-worker. I just, you know, he's, we're not just co-workers, we're friends. And uh, he was the best man at my wedding. And uh, he's an extraordinary, wonderful human being. And I'm going to miss him so much. You know, the other day when you and I were talking about it, when we first learned that Monty was um, leaving, um, you said something extraordinary to me. You said something about opportunity. 
Oh, well, change brings opportunity. And as much as Monty is the best thing that has happened to the river in the last 20 years, um, this is just the end of the chapter. We'll start another chapter with another great story. And um, Monty's got opportunities, and the river will go on, and I, I don't think Monty's going to be a stranger. He's part of the river family. He sure is. Dan Torres, you too are a co-worker of Monty Bill Monty. Absolutely. You know, Monty is the reason why I'm on this show. You know, and I've also appreciated all the advice and wisdom he has shared. He has, I've gone into his office while he is working and been like, Monty, what's going on here? What's happening here? Hey, can you show me this thing on the board? And never once has he been like, I got to go or I got to go do this. You know, he's always willing to share his expertise, time. And what I've learned is on the radio, the key thing is to be yourself, be honest with the community, go out there and do what you need to do. Because there is only, really only one Monty Belmonte. For me, what it, what it said is, you know, don't try to be somebody else. Don't fake it. Just be yourself and be real. And, and I've always appreciated that about him. Did I die? <laughs> you know, I was thinking earlier, it, yeah. this is like, you're so fortunate because... This is almost like being alive and being able to go to your funeral. Yes. So, that's what this has almost felt like. I, but what I think is the hard part is it, it almost feels like it's a change. So it almost feels like a death, but it really feels like it's a growth moment, right? It's like we're new chapters. What chapter is closing and new chapters being written. So I think that's, I've been thinking about that. Sorry. Yeah. We're going to have to take a break in a minute, but I just want to say to my, I wouldn't be here either if it wasn't for Monty Belmonte. And I can't tell you how much that I've learned. I'm, not a radio guy. I'm just an attorney in the gutters, like a lot of attorney, just you know, fighting that fight. But um, I have learned so much, and I've and I um, respect so much of what you are, Monty. I just uh, this isn't a eulogy; it's a celebration. And the fact that you're leaving here, it's a really good opportunity for us to reflect on everything you've done. And um, I can't wait. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hear more from Monty himself from the horse's mouth oh right goodness, after that this. That was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever had to experience. Oh, I love in silence the whole time. I love watching you squirm. <laughs> we're going to be back, and, oh. back with more squirming right after this. This is the Afternoon and Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. What does Donald Trump's company being convicted of 17 counts of fraud and related crimes mean for Trump himself? And what is the next legal shoe likely to drop on the former president? Join us for a special edition of Crime and Punishment with attorney John Pucci, beginning Thursday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. I'm Tony Warden. President and Chief Executive Officer of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and a safe and healthy new year. Hi, this is Teresa from the 63 Federal Street Office of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I would like to wish all of our customers and their families a Christmas that's merry and bright and a happy new year filled with love, health, and happiness. Hi, this is Mandy. And this is Rachelle from, from Greenfield, Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Bank. Wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and all the other holidays you may celebrate this season. Hi, this is Jane Wolfe, Senior Vice President of Residential Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hello, I'm James Alexander. Vice President and Commercial Lender located in Shelburne Falls. I want to wish everyone a happy and safe holiday season from the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. This is Chelsea. And this is Maggie. From the Commercial Loan Department. We want to wish our family, friends, and customers a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday downtown sounds? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons. Live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument. Plus, repairs of musical instruments and equipment. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Hello everyone, Gordon Oliver here. So let's face it, our day-to-day lives always involve money, right? For many of us, money is always top of mind, but here at the Cambridge Connection, we want to help you reverse that trend. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP, my co-pilot, Tina Marie, and I bring you a variety of amazing experts who can help you navigate that daily financial maze of life and guide you to a better relationship with your money. Tax time is right around the corner. Tune in Saturday to get your tax tips from CPA Tom Foley and be ready with a pen and paper. Some people know how to prepare seafood. Seafood's delicate. You don't want a heavy hand. Some people have the touch. Some of those people are in the kitchen at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where there's a 40-year tradition of preparing seafood, wisdom passed along through the years. That's why when you have fish and chips at Paul and Elizabeth's, or Faroe Island salmon, or tempura shrimp with that light and lively orange ginger sauce, it's perfect every time. Fresh seafood, Paul and Elizabeth's, inside Thorns in downtown Northampton. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with this very special day for all of us here at RSI and HMP. It is uh, uh, our afternoon opportunity to uh, say how much we love Monty Belmonte. Monty, this must be really a time for reflection for you, huh? Yeah, I'm already sick of this farewell tour. It just started yesterday. <laughs> no, it's been incredible. And, uh, you know, Buzz, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for that. I mean, when I saw how much work that went into making that, it's I said off the air, that is more work than I'm going to put into doing my last show on the air. There were things I didn't even know about myself there. Uh, and to get my family involved really was like it sent me over the edge. I lost it. And uh, I love and appreciate you. And... Um, and Joan and Dan. I mean, you all have these talents. I was lucky enough to be part of the hiring process of Joan when that happened years ago. And Dan, I Good was move, not, by the but way. I was able to recognize that Dan is extremely smart. You know, he knows more about what's going on in Peru, as you mentioned, in Germany than I do right now. He is. Um, he's politically really yeah, astute. Yeah, and, you know, the fact that he's got the uh, aptitude to, like, to push these buttons for the board, you know. And then you, Buzz, you know, we met years and years ago, and you were, uh, you thought, looked at me a little bit. Um, who is this kooky? Who, yeah, uh, why is this morning radio DJ wanting to talk to me about Guantanamo Bay? Yeah, I, I had just, by the way, two days before that, I'd been interviewed by the Washington Post. <laughs> and then this guy, Monty Belmonte, went to interview me. With a little lighter sized recorder. <laughs> so you felt like you finally made it. Yeah, right. Now I did. Monty <laughs> Belmonte. But, you know, your heart and you, what you've done for so long, that's, I mean, it's real and tangible for human beings' lives. And I, I may scratch an emotional itch for people here and there, but. You know, the work that you do professionally, you know, with Guantanamo, with the immigrant community in this area, that's that's the real deal. And what I love about it is being able to put a, a spotlight on people like you on my show and to, you know, incorporate people like you into greater radio programming as well as, you know, Dan, you know, being letting shining a light on the, the what Dan has to offer to the radio station. And then Joan, of course, is the heart and soul of the river. I may be the... Um, the snarky uh, super ego of the river, but Joan's the heart and soul. But I mean, yeah, it's 20 years that I've been here with the with WRSI and uh, 18 of them with WRSI and WHMP. And when I got hired at age 24, I was very young for the demo and uh, none of the people wanted to hire me. The upper management did not want to hire me. But uh, my boss at the time, Sean O'Mealy, made a case for me to be what was a glorified intern going to local businesses with a big prize wheel and spinning the wheel and giving away fantastic prizes and getting to help produce the show of uh, Rachel Maddow, who was the morning show host at the time for those first two years in her show called The Big Breakfast. And getting to ask her questions, just understanding what a wonderful brain she had and off the air having 
no real political acumen myself, you know, what is the deal with Mitt Romney? Why is he a good governor, even though he's, you know, a Republican in Massachusetts? All these kind of things. And being able to spitball with her off the air and work with her on creative things, that was such a delightful period of time. And she's still an important part uh, of my life and a mentor of sorts. And um, Well, you've come a long way, baby. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, I was 24 when I started at the station. I'm 44 now. So my entire adult identity, my entire marriage, my entire children's lives has surrounded this radio station. So, you know, we were joking about, did I die <laughs> after that that wonderful and humbling uh, first segment? Um, you know, there's a bit, there's grief because this is a huge chapter of my life that is ending in the in the way that it has existed previously. It's not over. Right. There will be appendices and addendums and codas, et cetera, but... And you can't get rid of me. I won't. Because I've seen your children grow up, and I've known your wife for 13 years, and I'm just not going to let that go. Even though you're the first person when people leave to say, yeah, you're dead to me. I'm I'm never talking to you again. you leave me, (laughs) I don't ever want to talk to you again. You're dead to me. And I told Joan, I said, I'm leaving... I should, you should consider me dead to you because that's just the natural <laughs> course I of said, things. that's how you do things, Monty, not me. No, and again, I'm not leaving, leaving. I am, the March for the Food Bank is going to continue with the river and these radio stations in 2023. It's going to change the way I'm doing things. It's going to be a real adjustment to have um, a more normal sleep schedule and, uh, you know, more radio adventures to come. And maybe slow down a little bit? Maybe. That's going to take a lot a of learning. A little bit. Enzo, who you heard on that segment earlier, told me the other weekend, Dad, we're going to have to teach you how to relax. Ooh. <laughs> I know. I've always said relax. Uh, to relax, you have to have laxed once. Yes. Right? I got to get more laxative, I suppose. Dan. But I also want to just say, uh, I also loved you know, all the segments you had on from the wine snob, heavy petting, the Mr. Universe. I mean, a lot of those songs, I mean, a lot of those songs, a lot of those segments that you do on your morning show are just, they're treasures. I mean, I feel like I'm in a room with you when you're having that conversation with Salman Hamid about the universe, which is why I always sent you those articles oh, about yeah. space. I and, love and the, it. I mean, it's, it's so exciting. And your, your ability to make it accessible and yet still entertaining and fun, even when it gets wonky, is, is, it's genius. Well, it's really you. great. So. Well, that's why we have an award. Oh, my goodness. Which uh, our listeners can't see, but I can read it. <laughs> Truly a star who makes a real difference, our friend and colleague, Monty Belmonte. This is the Mic Drop Award. Oh, my goodness. For Look Monty. And it's, it's mounted on a, a wooden plaque. It's got what look like silver headphones with a microphone on it. I love this. This is so wonderful. Buzz made that. You made it? I made it. Did you make the um, board and everything? I made the board. I routed the board. Wow. I'm going to have to borrow your router. Oh, <laughs> anything you want. I already have your uh, post hole digger. I got to get that back to you. No, you don't. Okay. Take, take your time. Do yeah. your work. This really, I mean, I, I am not, uh, honestly not, despite the fact that I wear crazy outfits and, uh, and march all this way, the reason I do that is to direct attention to the food bank and the work that they do. When the attention is literally exactly on me, I, I want to hide under the desk. So this has been um, amazingly uncomfortable, but at the same time, I know where your heart is and where it's coming from, and it's so... You know, meaningful and someday when I download this podcast later and listen to it <laughs> when I'm an old old man it will be such a special time and that you've created for me well you are truly loved and respected not just by the people in the studio and people in the station but by all of your listeners Joan last word for you oh last word for me um, you're not through with us no and I love you very much and it's been an honor to be here on the river with you Feeling is mutual, Joan. We are going to be back. Um, we actually have some. We have Dr. Stephen Platt coming on. He's a professor of history at UMass, and he's an expert on China. And he's going to explain what all these extraordinary protests about, even talking about um, calling for the Chinese president Xi Jinping to step down. We're going to be back with Dr. Platt right after this. Monty, we love you. Finally, some real news. <laughs> This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Police are investigating after a car accident in West Springfield this morning left one person seriously injured. According to West Springfield Police, around 12.30 a.m., crews were called to the intersection of Route 20 and Fife Lane for a one-car accident. The driver was found unconscious but still breathing and was the only person in the vehicle. The vehicle had been traveling west on Route 20 when it crossed over the center line into opposite lanes of traffic and then off the road into a tree. Environmental activists in Springfield, Longmeadow, and beyond are organizing an opposition to a new natural gas pipeline that Eversource wants to build through downtown Springfield. They're concerned about increasing reliance on fossil fuels at a time when the world needs more clean energy investments, as well as the health risks of gas leaks and explosions. Naya Tenerowitz, a member of the Springfield Climate Justice Coalition. This is not about reliability. It's about making Eversource money. Activists are trying to increase awareness of a virtual public comment session about the project on December 14th. The Energy Facilities Siting Board will hear from the public before making a decision to approve the project. East Hampton Police K-9 Gino now has heat alarm technology in his cruiser. The technology was granted from Massachusetts Vesta Dog. An alarm will go off if the cruiser is getting too hot inside or the battery or an engine malfunction is occurring. Gino is East Hampton's first police dog, joining the force in 2017. The rain and drizzle will gradually taper off after 3 o'clock this afternoon with a high of 50 to 54. Partial clearing tonight, breezy, overnight lows of 36 to 42. Mostly sunny and breezy tomorrow, a high of 48 to 52. Mostly sunny mid-40s on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hey, it's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. One of the best savings rates in America is another reason banking with Capital One is the easiest decision. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Well, our ski week started out with a couple of mostly dry days and a couple of good cold snowmaking nights. We'll have to deal with some mild and wet weather today, but things will turn around quickly and Thursday looks to be dry and comfortable. Thursday night, the temps drop and snow guns will fire up again and they'll blast away for several straight nights. That will help to continue to push to open more terrain and it'll get more mountains closer to kicking off their seasons. Now, if you are venturing out today, check ahead as some mountains could hold off for the day. What you said's been skiing about a half dozen runs along with Smuggler's Notch and Bretton Woods, Stratton and Killington have had more than 20 open. And this report brought to you by Smuggler's Notch from Mount America's Family Resort where family funds guaranteed. Visit smugs.com. Check out more at snowcountry.com. I'm Jason Dean. Champagne tasting, sip and stroll, holiday pops. What's going on? A look around the valley with provisions. The Pioneer Valley Symphony's Holiday Pops Concert, December 17th at Greenfield High School. Provisions Grand Champagne Tasting at Provisions Mill District, North Amherst. Taste sparkling wines from around the world, plus caviar and soft cheeses. It's free, Saturday, December 10th, 1 to 5. Meet the Grinch in the Grinch's Grotto. The Springfield Museum bring you Grinchmas magic all month. The Brattleboro Camarada presents Ensalada, Renaissance music of Latin America, Sunday, December December 11th at the Brattleboro Music Center. Sip and shop stroll in downtown Amherst. A maker's market, dining deals, free horse-drawn carriage rides. Thursday, December 15th, 5 to 9. This is Jim Neal with What's Going On, a monthly look around at food and beverage, arts and music, and anything cool. What's Going On is presented by Provisions. Wine, beer, cheese, liquor at the foot of Crafts Avenue in downtown Northampton and in the Mill District in North Amherst. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back. Um, after that tribute to Monty, it's time to get back into the real world. And part of the real world, an extraordinary thing is happening in China. And we are very lucky to have Dr. Stephen Platt, uh, professor of history at University of Massachusetts, with us, who specializes in China and Chinese foreign relations. And Steve, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Thank you, Buzz. Oh, it's, it's, uh, well, it's also important. We're trying to understand what's going on. We, we hear about these protests. Um, we hear about the zero COVID po policy and the fact that I guess tens of thousands, if not more, are uh, brazenly protesting in China. What do you make of what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean, this has been amazing. I mean, it, it's quieted down for the moment, um, but 
I mean, the outbreak of protests was not something anyone expected. I mean, I don't, I don't think we've seen like, sort of simultaneous protests like this since 1989. Tiananmen Square. Was, yeah, Tiananmen Square back when I was in high school. Um, but I mean, I would say that like protests are quite common in China on a smaller scale. Um, under Xi Jinping's predecessors, there were tens of thousands of small-scale protests. But in, sort of in, in the previous generation, most of those protests were localized. They're aimed at corrupt local officials, local problems, you know, factories that were dumping chemicals into the water and things like that. And the government tolerated you know, huge numbers of small protests, largely because the, it was a way of identifying corruption. And the protesters, for the most, I mean, the protesters weren't calling for like the Communist Party to step down or something like that. They were calling for you know the local party chief who is corrupt to be replaced. And really, that was sort of the hallmark of the of the protests in the early two thousands. That a lot of them were, you could really say, pro government because they they were trying to get the attention of the central government and getting mm. it to pay attention to what was going on where they were. This round has been something completely different. Well, this one, what our media tells us is that these demonstrations really emerged uh, on November 25th after an apartment building uh, fire in the western Xinjiang region. Is that how you Xinjiang, yeah. Xinjiang, and it killed at least 10 people, and many claim that the victims in the burning building were blocked by locked doors and other anti-infection controls. And that's what precipitated the first of these protests. Is that what your understanding is? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the shared horror that's behind these protests and why they came out. I mean, the, so the apartment fire out in Urumqi, um, I mean, the people who were, the, one of the interesting facets of that, so Xinjiang is where the Chinese government has been, you know, rounding up millions of people and putting them in internment camps. Um, these are the Uyghurs, the Muslims from, from Western China. Um, it was Uyghurs who were killed in the fire, but this is an instance where Han Chinese sort of see them as their fellow countrymen, and you know we are all one family. Um, so none of the, I mean, none of the, none of the protesters that I know of were calling for you know Uyghurs not to be detained anymore. I mean, there's nothing political like that. Um, but the, I mean, when I say the shared horror, it's. Um, what everyone in China has been suffering under the zero COVID policy. So in Xinjiang, it was a fire where, as, as most people understood it, people couldn't get out because entrances had been locked in order to make sure that they could monitor everyone coming in and out. Um, recently, there was a bus crash in southern China um, where several people were killed and who were being taken off to a COVID quarantine site. And I think it's the combination of the helplessness of people who have been locked up, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of people getting locked up for weeks at a time in their apartments. Oh, well, really? Mean, it's two and a yeah. half years they've been... But, but there's a big difference between a protest uh, involving those extraordinary measures that China took because of the pandemic, because of the virus, yeah. and calling for the ouster of Xi. I think that's a big difference. That is where I would say we need to take it with a grain of salt. Um, so one thing that happens a lot with Chinese protests when they're sort of translated over to the United States. Like, I mean, right, Tiananmen is a case in point. The Tiananmen protests in 1989. I mean, most Americans at the time understood them as democracy protests. That's certainly how I learned about them when I was in high school. That's what they said on CNN. Um, the reality is that most of the people out protesting on, on Tiananmen Square, were, they wanted the party to clean up its act. They weren't trying to get rid of the Communist Party. Mm. It was down with corruption, down with unfairness. Um, but as, as the cameras sort of panned across that ocean of people, you know, a million people in Tiananmen Square protesting, um, the signs that Americans could understand were the ones that were written in English. They couldn't read the Chinese signs. And the ones that were written in English were written by students who had been studying American studies and learning English. Therefore, we're and they were the ones saying Western democracy, right. yeah, like America. So, I mean, I... I I am sure that there were individual people calling for Xi Jinping to step down, but my sense, and again, we only get the most fragmented information about this because of the like incredible controls that China puts on the internet and on communications, which is just absolutely stunning. Um, but in the bits that come through, it, I mean, it, it seemed to me that most of the people are just simply really angry about the COVID measures, and they're really sick of being locked up. 
and they primarily want that to change. And a few of them are using the opportunity as a chance to sort of shout for Xi Jinping to step down, but I don't think they speak for most of the people who were protesting. Well, historian uh, Steve Platt, um, a professor at University of Massachusetts at Amherst, do you have contacts in China where you can get information that's a little bit richer than what we get from CNN? God, I wish I did. I've felt so disconnected from China ever since COVID. Um, the, I mean, I haven't been able to travel there in years. I don't know when I'm ever going to be able to travel there again. Um, the, like, the normal just like movement of people back and forth has just been throttled. Um, you know, the number of Chinese students in the U.S. has diminished enormously. The number of American students studying in China is just a, a, you know, a tiny fragment of what it was just five or six years ago. Um, so most of the information I get is either from either, either through Twitter, which has to be filtered from people who are connected into the Chinese internet and are forwarding things from it, um, or things that I hear from students here in the Valley who have friends back in China that they're communicating with. Well, from the, the, the communication which you do have, what's your understanding about this, this zero-COVID policy? I mean, on the one hand, we all, anybody with any measure of sophistication who's not an anti-vaxxer or otherwise a looney tune in my judgment, <clears throat> celebrates when governments sort of take the reins and control the spread of virus and are somewhat aggressive in trying to do so and protect populations from infection. But it sounds like these are fairly draconian measures over extended periods of time. What's, what's your say, yeah, take on that? Oh, I, I mean, I got lots of takes on that. Um, but one is that, I mean, the way China is going about it is a way that was tremendously effective right at the beginning before there were vaccines. And it has long since outlived its usefulness. Um, you know, that I mean, one of the I mean, one of the one of the things that I understand has been like part of the shock that caused some of these protests is um, the World Cup in Qatar and people in China watching on TV and, you know, they're still locked in their apartments and having to go for their PCR test every day and get, you know, the green check mark on their phone to be able to come and go from their building and go into stores. And they see these like, crowds from all Tens over the world, shoulder to shoulder, right? no masks all packed together. And just the shock of that, of realizing that the rest of the world has moved on and they have not. I think that was a lot of the fuel that went into these. Um, the other side of this is that Xi Jinping has really banked a lot of prestige on his control of COVID. Mm. And so he's made it sort of a, a, referendum, a referendum on himself. Yeah. What, Dan, did I see a question on your yeah, lips? I, I wanted to know um, why is it that the Chinese government isn't willing to buy the vaccines from abroad, from Pfizer, Moderna, and start this mass vaccination process? From what I've been reading, they, they want to develop their own vaccine and they've been kind of in, kind of enforcing this no COVID policy in order to uh, wait till they develop their own vaccination. Can you talk about that? I've read the same thing. I've read that what yep. vaccines they do have are reported to be not as effective as the Western vaccines. Right. So, yeah. So they have domestically produced vaccines, which are not as effective as uh, as the ones that are available here. Um, but it's partly a nationalistic issue. They want to solve the problem with Chinese vaccines. It's not like they don't have the money to buy vaccines from abroad. Um, what I'm told by some of my students from China also is that you know, there's a huge industry in China built around the testing regime and the control measures and all that. And they're making a lot of money off this zero COVID policy and they don't want to see it change. Mm. Um, so I think, like, I mean, it's, I've been just, baffled that Xi Jinping has not found an excuse to start importing like the Moderna vaccine, um, which would be so much, I mean, it would, that would be the avenue out of this. Um, so, I mean, the big shocker as of, you know, basically as of today um, is that these protests seem to have worked. Um, so the, even though the government does not acknowledge publicly that there have been any protests, um, just you know, out of the you know, kindness of its heart or its foresight or whatever, now they've announced that it's time to move on from, the, from a lot of the COVID restrictions that they've had. Um, and they are suddenly 
starting to you know remove testing sites and remove requirements and take away um, you know take away requirements that you have the you know correct color on your cell phone and all of this but in a way that nobody has prepared for um, so the joke going around on the that I saw on the, on the joke going around on the Chinese internet um, I'm sorry the you know the official in China announces okay the you know the zero covid policy will end in 10 and then the person is like well what do you mean 10 months 10 weeks and the official says nine, eight, seven, <laughs> six. So they're, I mean, they're, they've had to maintain the zero COVID because, you know, I think only 40% of elderly people in China have had a booster shot of the less effective vaccine that they really? have. That's interesting. So there is a gigantic vulnerable population and there are not measures in place to protect them if they don't have all these restrictions on people's movement and shutting down entire apartment blocks if somebody tests positive. So I, I saw recently there was a paper in, um, in Nature Medicine, um, a modeling that was done by a group of Chinese scientists, I assume they are not in China, um, but estimating that if China simply withdrew the zero COVID without any other changes, that they, you know, one and a half million people would probably die in China from COVID. Wow. wow. We are talking with Steve Platt, professor of history, China expert. When we come back, I'm going to ask him, well, what do you think the impact of these demonstrations are on the next generation of Chinese? And we're going to be taking a break. We're going to come back. Stay with us. Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. One thing I like about working at ServiceNet is that in addition to being a manager, I can still be a clinician. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. For people working private practice who want to also still have a commitment to community mental health, Working at ServiceNet gives me the opportunity to do both at the same time. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. At American National, we understand the tried and true farm and ranch lifestyle. And what's important to you is important to us. You deserve an insurance plan custom made to meet all the specific needs of your agribusiness operation. American National offers flexible farm and ranch policies with package options to help better protect your livelihood. We're right by your side. For more information and to connect with a local American National agent, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. I once had a customer who asked us to make a very special fruit basket. I want 25 pounds of bananas, he said with a note attached that reads, I'm bananas over you. Will you marry me? You know, I've always wondered about their wedding cake. At State Street Market, we make fruit baskets. Of course we do. But just because it's a basket doesn't mean you've got to fill it with fruit. How about a basket filled with, with soda pop or microbrews? There are Chardonnay baskets, Merlot, Shiraz. Give us a price range and we'll fetch you a combination of bottles from the wine cellar. 
that'll make someone dizzy with delight. Oh, we do baskets. Local goat cheeses and six kinds of crackers. Cookie baskets based on the city world. Milano, Brussels. We've even put together the ingredients for the perfect minestrone. The fresh vegetables, the spice jar, the pasta. Hey, if you can dream it, State Street can put it in a basket. State Street Deli, State Street Fruit, State Street Wines and Spirits, Northampton. Delivery, too. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back. I am so uh, grateful that we have in studio uh, a real China expert, somebody whose scholarship can really allow him to speak with some authority about what's going on in China. And I have to ask uh, Stephen Platt, what, um, what are the consequences <clears throat> for the next generation of Chinese citizens? Um, of seeing these demonstrations, uh, which may or may not be calling for a new regime, but certainly are protesting Chinese government. Yeah, I mean, I think the big surprise is seeing protests by people of this, by young people of this generation. I mean, modern China is defined by youth protests, and the whole 20th century was about student-led this and that, starting around 1919. Um, but the current generation, um, growing up under Xi Jinping, um, the general view of them, and, I've, and I'm told that a lot of them really internalize this, um, is that they're not political. They call them sort of like little pinks. Um, that they are, you know, they're basically supportive of the Communist Party and they accept the controls that are put on society because they're going to get good jobs and because they're going to be prosperous. And so they go along with that. Um, the filtering of the internet makes it extremely difficult to come across anything. Involved what do you mean by the filtering of the internet? I'm meaning China's total control of the internet. Uh, that you know, search terms are blocked um, in real time. It's Accounts are pulled censorship. down. Yeah. Um, I mean, the way that they've used digital tools there, you know, like you know, here we've got Google and whatnot, but like. You know, there you have like a WeChat account to talk to your friends and you have a WePay account to buy things. And if your account gets revoked because you searched for the wrong term or you posted the wrong thing, um, you know, say your account gets shut down for a couple of weeks. Like it makes it really difficult to buy anything. People basically don't use cash anymore. They use their WePay accounts to pay for things. Um, it makes it very hard to communicate. Um, so in terms of this generation, I think a lot of outsiders um, and a lot of insiders had seen them as a fairly apolitical generation that was unlikely to sort of protest like this. And one of the things that I heard coming out of these protests was sort of um, voices of young people who themselves were not happy with how everything was going in China, but they thought they were probably the only ones because they had bought into this narrative that this is a generation that doesn't really care that much about political stuff. And then suddenly you find yourself outside in you know, at your university with thousands of other students shouting slogans together, and this, it's this incredible feeling of not being alone. Um, and I think that's really one of, I mean, in again, in terms of understanding the power of these protests, um, how, it, I mean, first of all, how it feels to be in a protest if you haven't been on, in one before. Mm. That feeling of being around thousands of angry people who are angry about the same thing you are. And being young. Yeah. Having the passions young. of youth. Yeah. And then especially in the midst of the pandemic, I mean, I think that, I mean, one of the things that made the Black Lives Matters Matter protests so powerful was the cause and because they came at a time when people were all locked up and they hadn't seen each other in a long time. And so there was this incredible synergy, um, both of, a of the political cause and also just that feeling of being out in a crowd of people again. I mean, that, the protest that I went to up in Greenfield, that was the first time I had been around that many people in you know, mm -hmm. well over a year. So, you know, they've had several years of zero COVID. And so the energy of these protests being out in large crowds outside really sort of feeds on itself. And I think the interesting thing going forward is, so they've quieted down for now. The government is shifting its zero COVID plans, apparently in response to this. 
um, hoping to take the wind out of the sails of it. But you know, the question is going forward is going to be, can the genie get put back in the bottle? Mm. I w- wanted to ask you about Xi, uh, Xi Jinping's consolidation of power. It seemed like when the Western media had their cameras during the Chinese uh, Congress, um, they he showed that the former Chinese um, leader was escorted out, Hu Jintao, um, which is a fascinating move. It was seen as a power play. That's how a lot of people interpret it. I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on his ability to consolidate power. He recently also just arrived in Saudi Arabia trying to create probably a new relationship. Yeah, I mean, his consolidation of power has been remarkable. I remember when he, when he, you know, first started as um, in his position in 2012, everyone thought he was going to be a reformer. His daughter had gone to Harvard. They thought he was going to be sort of pro-Western. Um, I mean, my view on him is that he, you know, he's a bureaucrat who has played the bureaucratic a- game to its final end. Better than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, in the long span, there's nothing unusual about um, a ruler for life in China. You know, you know, China traditionally had dynasties where you had emperors and you had, you know, you know Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek and you know, Mao. That, I mean, China has had far more sort of larger-than-life leaders who were not bound by term limits. The term limits are, you know, really just, you know, the past 20 years or so, 20 or 30 years. Um, so it's not a long time that these checks have been in place. But the apparent ease with which he did away with the checks and balances and got himself appointed. So he's not Mao, but he clearly wants to be seen kind of like Mao. There are pictures of him everywhere. Um, and I don't know where it's going. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, It's really interesting. Well, uh, I do see you're an educator, and I see why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because somebody, you know, we, we just get our information from you know, Western sources and um, as unreliable as they are in most regards, they're especially unreliable when we're talking about China, right? What sources do you use for information? Oh, Lord. I mean, I, we don't have time to go into all of them, <laughs> but I have, a, I have a lot of people that I follow assiduously on Twitter, and I'm afraid that the platform is going to explode and fall apart, <laughs> and then I'll have to Thank find you, Musk. new people to follow on different platforms. Well... We have been talking to Stephen Platt. Um, he's professor of history at UMass, and I'm going to exploit his kindness and have him back again because China is a, a spot we have to pay attention to. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tomorrow is uh, 4 o'clock, and we're going to have some really interesting guests, including the owner of A to Z, talk about science gifts coming up for Christmas, and we have incredible jazz happening tomorrow. Glenn Siegel's going to bring it to us. Thank you so much for joining us today, and have a great evening. Talk to you tomorrow. is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Skates cutting the ice and sticks pounding boards. The slap of the puck and a peel off the post. The chirp of the whistle and the blaring of the horn. Hockey is here. Tune in for all the sounds of the season right here on the news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.